Glad you're with us. Right down our toll-free telephone number is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. A lot to get to today. A lot of fallout as it relates to the Democrats, their big resolution, their great hypocrisy. Um, It's almost like there's nobody else that will do what I'm about to do on the radio and Those of you that have been with the show a long time, at different points, we've never really put it all together like we're about to or as comprehensively as we are about to. But there there needs to be an education out there because what once used to be something I would do every two and four years during election cycle is it's that things have changed in as much as in the era of Trump, you know, if collusion doesn't work. And obstruction doesn't work and the FBI investigation doesn't work and the House Intel investigation doesn't work. And then it doesn't work with the bipartisan Senate committee or the Mueller report doesn't work. And they're now scared of the Mueller testimony. And what are they going to do? Because the rules allow for members to get five minutes each. So now they're going to try and change the rules at the last minute. And that has now become one big cluster for the Democrats with Mueller. I'm still not even sure if Mueller shows up. And if I'm Mueller, I would stay as far away as I could because he is going to walk into an environment where he's going to now have to answer real questions that matter. Because even he said it's all in the report. Even he backtracked. It was not a consideration the Department of Justice policies on whether you can or cannot indict a sitting president. That was not a constitutional issue for him, but he's got so much more that he is going to have to answer for. Um, You know, we're now learning that, you know, how did he possibly stay away from Steele's dirty dossier? You know, how did he possibly stay away for bought and paid for Russian disinformation by the opposition party candidate, some of which was disseminated by the so-called media outlets and, you know, conspiracy, those that pushed the conspiracy theory before the election, the hoax before the election, liberal hacks like Michael Isikoff, David Korn, and, of course, the Washington Compost. You know, how do you ignore the Russian lies that were used to spy on a campaign when the crux of the investigation is Russian influence on 2016. How does he ignore the many warnings that were given by people like Devin Nunes a full two years before Russia did all of this? Think, you know, when Biden, this wouldn't have happened on mine and Obama's watch. It all happened on their watch. All of it. And, you know, how did they ignore the fact that everybody was warned that Steele hated Trump, that the dossier was not verified, and that Clinton paid for it. Turns out Clinton, the campaign, funneled money, possible campaign finance violation. Then you've got the DNC. Clinton controlled the money, according to Donna Brazil, the interim DNC chair. Money was paid from them also. Then money was paid from the FBI. FBI was, pay- FBI was paying Steele. And then some oligarch was paying Steele for the same lies. You know, how how is any of that possible? How do you not look into that the people that did all of this also were responsible when there is an, you know, you care about FARA violations and registering as a foreign, you know, lobbyist or whatever the law is supposed to be about? 
and you care about taxi medallions and you care about loan applications. Oh, you, you purposely lied to the bank, which, by the way, is a dumb thing to do. You're committing fraud, lying to a bank. Don't do it. Or taxes. Pay your taxes. I tell my guys all to just pay it. Just pay it. Pay more. Pay it. Don't take it. Don't risk it. Pay it. Pay it. Pay it. That's my answer. It's been my answer for years. Just to pay, knowing that I'll be a target because I'm a public figure with a strong conservative voice, I just say pay it. It's fine. Pay it. Guy calls, well, maybe, you know, other people would take this deduction. I'm like, pay it. Just not worth it. Well, not only did Bruce Orr warn everybody in August of 2016 that all these things she paid for at Hillary, it was unverified. Steele hates Donald Trump. Kathleen Kavlik warned the DOJ, warned the FBI, upper echelon. Now we find out that through John Solomon, who's going to join us at the top of the next hour, that in fact, the FBI actually had a spreadsheet in the spreadsheet. They would tear apart the dossier that Clinton paid for with Russian disinformation. And they found that it was pretty much all disproven. 90 plus percent of it was crap and garbage. And all of it is unverifiable. In other words, and in one case, investigators found that Steele's testimony, his credibility, um, all of this, that it was all an, a false Russian narrative. And he hadn't even been to Russia in 10 or 11 years himself. But anyway, the, the, the bulk of the FISA applications, especially the one in October of 2016, that his dossier alleged the conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Moscow was totally disproven, and the FBI knew it in 2017, then why did we even have the investigation? That, did, that, that now raises a whole new specter of questions for Robert Mueller. In other words, it was disproven, and it was unverifiable. And the intelligence used to secure the surveillance war warrant, that was false information, and everybody knew it. In other words, using Carter Page. Carter Page is going to be a very rich man. He just needs to get the right attorney and the right attitude because he's been saying, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll give it to charity. No, don't give it to charity. They used your life and you were investigated needlessly. Your civil liberties were violated. Your constitutional rights destroyed. You know, so they were trying to ascertain, you know, uh, about the sourcing of all of this. And remember, we had the election day deadline to get this information. You had hacks, you know, that do no verification themselves. Conspiracy theorists like David Korn and Michael Lizikoff, you know, spreading this before the election to influence the election. But Mueller ignored all of this and evidence that Steele told the DOJ in July and the State Department in October about all the flaws in his work. Well, we're going to find out now because we now had the inspector general go look over over all of this, you know, so we're going to get to the bottom of every single bit of it here. But multiple sourcing saying the FBI spreadsheet, basically, they flagged every single claim of steel and 90 plus percent of the dossier was wrong, unverifiable or or just open source intelligence, meaning <laughs> he just did a Google search. It puts a stake through the heart of Steele's dossier. It is, it is devastating to everybody that used that as the basis for the FISA applications. You know, here we have been reporting all of this. I, I just can't get over 
The New York Times confirms that the Steele dossier used as a justification to obtain the FISA warrant. Well, if they'd been paying attention to what we do every day or even bothered to listen to the deputy FBI director, Andrew McCabe himself, who said without any dossier, there is no FISA application. And then, of course, the infamous warning of Rod Rosenstein himself on this. You know, where he said, well, a FISA warrant is an affidavit in Korean law enforcement, and they're verifying to the best of their ability that it's accurate and true and blah, 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 blah. And if you get that wrong, there are significant consequences. Play it. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we can accuse somebody of wrongdoing, we have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to affix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Now, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application. A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. Now, the problem for Rod Rosenstein in saying all that is he signed the fourth FISA application, the third renewal warrant. Well, by that time, the FBI already had available their own spreadsheet debunking the dossier. So that's a question he's going to ask. Another thing is, you know, how was Andrew Weissman? We now have his calendar documentary evidence that Mueller's essential figurehead within his own organization, that Mueller was outsourcing the most important responsibilities to the guy with the most atrocious track record, licensed to lie, Sidney Powell, a guy that withholds exculpatory evidence. And by the way, I'm hearing a big story about him is coming out very soon. You know, Judicial Watch gave a glimpse of the daily life of the special counsel's team as they were spending two years doing all of this. And they got 15 months, 66 pages of calendars of Andrew Weissman. And the entries reveal a litany of activities. Now, remember, he was at Hillary Clinton's victory party himself. He's the one that lost tens of thousands of jobs because of his his horrific behavior in the Enron and the accounting case that was going on and lost nine zero in the Supreme Court. He's the guy that put four innocent people from Maryland jail for a year. That's overturned by the Fifth Circuit. And there's, you know, a multitude of evidence about withholding exculpatory evidence. This is not a good person. But he's the one that did the hiring for Mueller, which I guess explains why did Mueller outsource it to a guy that had ethical problems from the beginning? Well, that would explain why Jeannie Ray, Clinton's attorney, was hired and that everybody else that was hired was a Democratic donor to either Obama, Hillary or some other Democratic candidate. And there were no Republicans put on there at all. So he would literally Mueller outsourced everything to the pit bull and. By the way, and all the hires had donated to either Hillary or Obama or other Democrats. Now, you see, the, the, with the Democrats now huddling a week from today, if Mueller shows up, they're scared to death because they don't know what to do because they can try. But the rules of the House are clear. Every member is supposed to get five minutes. When did you know that there was no collusion? Why didn't you stop there? 
Why did you look into relatively insignificant issues with the broad mandate that Rod Rosenstein gave you about Russian interference and overlook bought and paid for Russian intelligence and lies that one candidate paid for to destroy the other candidate? How did you and, and became the basis of FISA applications? How did you possibly ignore that? You know, what about the conflicts? Because the day before you were appointed special counsel, you were begging Donald Trump to be the FBI director. The next question is, uh, why were you not at all intrigued that the people that started the counterintelligence investigations were the same people that exonerated Hillary Clinton when the case on the Espionage Act and obstruction in her case was a slam dunk? Because we had the top secret classified information marked as such on the hard drive in a mom and shop bathroom closet. And she did destroy in a multitude of ways all of the evidence when she deleted first the subpoenaed emails and then went all those steps further. So this is this is now not a good situation, although they think so. All right. When we get back, I'm going to get to and I think this is very important. We got to dig down deep into what's going on with the Democratic Party and who they are, who they've always been, what their real history on race is and why the media mob only gives them a pass. That's all coming up. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show. All right, so many are wondering, well, how's this all playing out with the media? Uh, 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 their latest breathless, hysterical, uh, Trump is horrible, evil, awful, et cetera, narrative. Well, Rasmussen finds this in his latest poll. Uh, 47% likely U.S. voters think Trump is racist, which is down from 50% in January of 2018. Because remember, that that is the branding that Democrats use against any candidate. I mean, Mitt Romney was labeled racist, misogynist, horrible, evil, dirty air, water, kill people. And, uh, you know, this is they use this against every opponent. They love John McCain until the media and Democrats until John McCain ran for president. Uh, and he was accused of everything under the sun at that point. John McCain was foolishly not willing to go along, in my view at the time, with the idea of hitting back hard. Donald Trump fights back. Here's what else is interesting in the Rasmussen poll. A near majority, 49%, say Trump's opponents accusing him of racism is just for political gain. That's up from 43% in an earlier survey. There's a YouGov poll also out revealing that the vast majority of Republicans agree with the president's tweet suggesting, you know, people like Omar... Uh, who disparage America, blame us for what happened in the attacks in the mall by Al-Shabaab and uh, wherever that, where was that in uh, Kenya, I believe, uh, that we're responsible or that uh, she laughs about the way Americans say Al-Qaeda after 9-11. They think, okay, if you really don't love this country that's given you so much, we don't care if you don't like it, you don't have to stay. And you got, look at this poll, 48% people polled, thought Trump's tweets were great. 16% believed they were good. 24% believed they were okay. 88% of Republicans support the president's love it, leave it tweets as Democrats implode. That's latest poll, just giving you the information. 
All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. So those are the polls, Rasmussen, YouGov, um, not in working the way the Democrats want. And one of the main reasons is, is this is what they do. And it's sort of like it, maybe two separate analogies, the boy, boy who cries wolf. I mean, you wake up every single solitary day outraged, 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 outraged about Donald Trump. And over time, people begin to say, all right, this is a bunch of crap. They, you know, they understand that this is all political, as evidenced by both the poll by Rasmussen and the YouGov poll. That they, they get it. They see this for the partisan hit job that it is. And they're even saying so. And they, the Rasmussen poll in particular, you know, you have a near majority saying Trump's opponents are accusing him of racism for political gain. That's up six solid points from an earlier survey. So the people are smart. People see what's happening. They understand there's been four investigations into collusion, that there's been four conclusions that the Democrats don't like. And I think more people are coming around to the fact not only is this fifth and sixth investigation unnecessary and political, but it's also now moving towards this is harassment. As you now begin to subpoena everybody that then has to go hire expensive lawyers only to answer the same questions over and over again. And the White House, to their credit, not, they never once invoked executive privilege. They cooperated. They handed over 1.5 million documents to the special counsel. All these materials were shared with Congress. You had an FBI investigation for nine straight months. Lisa Page said they had nothing after nine months, Peter Strzok said, yeah, there's no there there. Um, and you just you, but they keep flailing. The one thing that's missing from their agenda, what, what, what are their plans to make America a better place to serve the American people? That, that's non-existent, too. You know, it, it just the, the idea that now the there is open warfare in the Democratic Party. And that the people with the most influence, this squad, as they are now called by everybody, Ocasio-Cortez and Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar and, you know, all this group of, of people, you know, it, this is radicalism, but it really represents the brain trust of the Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi, as far as I can see, has had no impact on any of the 2020 presidential candidates. None whatsoever. In other words, there's nothing she's advising them or saying or advocating for that they're saying, hey, we've 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 got to follow. This is a great plan. But everything that Ocasio-Cortez and the squad are proposing, well, then you have what? You have the Democratic 2020 candidate. Yeah, I support that. I really do. This is good stuff. Yeah, this uh, the new Green Deal. They have a version of it. Illegal immigrants, free health care. That's great. Yes, of course, we want that. And, you know, the president, you know, calling the president a racist, attacking him, you know, having these show condemnations when they wouldn't do it for their own is is just complete selective moral outrage and phony hypocrisy of the left. And we see it now all the time. The left, if they really cared about Me Too and Justice Kavanaugh, I, I always say we're all the I believers. The people that with no evidence, just an just allegations, 
the most outrageous allegations, I believe. We have to believe people that make accusations. No due process, no presumption of innocence. But that same belief, or where are all the I believers with the lieutenant governor in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Not a peep out of the, any, out of the I believers. And you have credible accusations of rape by one woman and violent sexual assault by another. And both women have people that they told at the time. That issue is dead. Now that lieutenant governor, well, got away with that. Might as well run for governor. Or the instances, you know, we have talked about the blackface of the governor of the Commonwealth. He's still in office, as is the secretary of state in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You know, one of the, the you, you watch these Democrats and then you look at their history and it begins to get very, very clear, you know, The fact that AOC says, well, you're only going after people of color to Nancy Pelosi. She doesn't care who she's attacking because that's basically saying that you're a racist. You know, but the the new Green Deal, you know, it's funny because the freshman congresswoman has a chief of staff. I've always said this is not about climate change. The end goal has always been about socialism. We'll we'll tell businesses how to run their business. Ocasio-Cortez said. And what's interesting, you know, even her own chief of staff said that as a matter of fact, because the interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. Wow. Okay. Well, it's interesting that Democrats now are are leaking against their, their colleagues and resenting the power of the squad and They're now showing polls to the media. 18% of voters in key swing states and districts have a favorable view of socialism. And the same poll revealing only 22% favorable view of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, only 9% for Congresswoman Omar. In other words, you have a Democratic Party so powerful, every Democratic 2020 hopeful that, that, that this radical base is so powerful has adopted their fringe socialist views joe biden is not the same person that joe biden once was there's a reason now that joe biden sleepy creepy has decided before he even ran that he's going to put all his records in the senate and he's going to have them sealed that was from the washington post joe biden's effort to make his lengthy experience the central issue of the campaign has been confounded by questions about his actions during almost four decades as a u.s senator those questions might be answered in the massive trove of senate records he donated eight years ago to the university of delaware under an agreement that they could be made public by early this year but the records are being kept secret following new terms The university posted on its website just before Biden made his presidential campaign official in April. Biden sought to blunt criticism of his past actions by putting the most positive spin on them, but limited the availability of documents from his Senate career complicates a full evaluation of his record. Oh, I think one of the other dumb things Biden has done is invoking Obamacare to sell his lie about health care. Well, you like your doctor, you keep your doctor. You like your plan, you keep your plan. By the way, that was Obama's lie of the year as president to everybody. And, you know, I think that was, you know, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. He just can't help himself. 
And by the way, Biden's lead is evaporating in many key primary states like New Hampshire. And every single Democratic, they all raise their hand. Let, yeah, I support health care. But you got to understand this. These tactics are not new. We have seen this every election cycle. You can go back to 1998, a radio ad in Missouri. If you elect Republicans, then crosses are going to burn. Listen. When you don't vote, you let another church explode. When you don't vote, you allow another cross to burn. When you don't vote, you let another assault wound a brother or sister. When you don't vote, you let the Republicans continue to cut school lunches and hit start. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice looking guy. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. No. cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So fully, I'm not joking. I'm actually old enough to remember the good old days, and they weren't all that good in many ways. That message where I'll give you America great again is if you're a white Southerner, you know exactly what it means, don't you? You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Mitt Romney, he's speaking to a population of this, a segment of the population who does not like to see people other than a white man in the White House or in any other elected position. I don't know how anyone of Hispanic heritage could be a Republican, okay? Do I need to say more? Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain! Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Don't tell me we live in a colorblind society. The Republicans know that theirs is the wrong agenda for African Americans. That's why they don't even want to count you in the census. They're doing everything they can to stop black people, Latinos, poor people, young people, people with disabilities from voting. It's a blast from the Jim Crow past. I thought we had won that battle back in the 1960s. That he has supporters like David Duke connected with the Ku Klux Klan who are going around and saying Donald Trump is their candidate because Donald Trump is pushing their values. Ku Klux Klan values, David Duke values, Donald Trump values are not American values. They, not you, have an ally in the White House. This time, they have an ally. They're a small percentage of the American people, virulent people. Some of them the dregs of society. On June 7, 1998, in Texas, my father was killed. He was beaten, chained, and then dragged three miles to his death, all because he was black. So when Governor George W. Bush refused to support hate crimes legislation, it was like my father was killed all over again. Call George W. Bush and tell him to support hate crimes legislation. We won't be dragged away from our future. Only problem is George Bush supported the death penalty for the evil murder of James Byrd. You know, look, you know, look at every, everything's racist now. The Betsy Ross American flag sneaker. 
Mitt Romney was racist. The national anthem, some racist. You know, every every Republican and conservative racist. The Electoral College, MAGA hats, private schools, the Covington High School kids, racist. You know, the Bible, even in some cases, everything you can think of is labeled racist. By the way, I meant the uh, attorney general in blackface in Virginia, not the secretary of state and, of course, the governor. You go back into 2008, media ignored, you know, look at Obama's close relationship with the hate preacher, Reverend Wright, based on black liberation theology, which inspired Obama so much and in places blaming people that are white for the world's problems. And I won't play it, but Obama on tape, white folks greed runs, runs a world in need. And, you know, Obama was photographed with Louis Farrakhan, a vile, virulent, racist and anti-Semite. But they kept it quiet for eight years. Bill Clinton on stage with Farrakhan, you know, Congresswoman Tlaib writes for Farrakhan's racist publication. You know, you know, his views are just unimaginably racist and anti-Semitic. And there's no condemnation of him. Look at the, the treatment, the love of Al Sharpton. Every Democratic presidential candidate is now kissing the ring of Al Sharpton. Why is that? Here's Al Sharpton at his, at his worst. Come try to the You ain't nothing. You a punk f- Now come on, do something. Take it, take it. Yes. yes. You want to be the only f- on television. The only f- in the newspaper. The only f- can talk. running out of time then biden his own problems you know opposing integration of schools soliciting segregationists for support in that fight biden you know a lot you know uh, you can't work at a 7-eleven or a dunkin donuts unless you have a slight indian accents and they want to put you all back in change and that's just the tip of the iceberg you want to look at the history the alabama governor george wallace democrat vowing to enforce segregation forever How many congressional Democrats opposed the 64 Civil Rights Act? Al Gore's father among them and launching a filibuster against the bill. It took Republicans to help Lyndon Johnson for that bill and the 65 Voting Rights Act bill. You know, the mentor of of Bill Clinton was a known segregationist, William Fulbright. Hillary Clinton's mentor was the former Klansman. She's my mentor, Robert KKK Burton, an actual member of the Klan early in his life. You know, all of this ignored, this history ignored by the mainstream media. It just it is it is just weaponizing divisiveness. And meanwhile, you got Omar. Well, what did she do? Once describes acts of terrorism as uh, uh, blames America for the Al-Shabaab attack on a Kenyan shopping mall. Laughs at the way that Americans are so the way they say Al-Qaeda. You know, calls Israel. It's all about the Benjamins and and all the other comments that she has made that are anti-Semitic, comparing them to Israel. You know, it just goes on and on. No wonder she has a what approval rating of nine percent. 
You know, the president said, okay, fix Somalia. Their laws on abortion, anti-Islam. If you say a negative thing about Islam or if you're gay and lesbian, let me tell you something. They're draconian. And he said, then come back and help us. That's what the president said. There's a lot of stuff here that they're not going to touch in the media because they don't want the full story, context, history, truth. I am a little bit concerned that Mueller doesn't purposely try to create a narrative and that he's not working with the Democrats already. Being that this was postponed a week, there's got to be a reason for it. Remember, Bill Barr came out with Rod Rosenstein, said, look, and, and issued a statement. Right, he issued a statement. And then a few days later, somebody got to Mueller where Mueller needed to come out, felt it upon himself to come out and make a nine and a half minute statement. Then of course, later he had to rectify. I fear what's going on right now is that Mueller's working with a lot of his staff who are back channeling to the Democrats. This investigation was not about collusion. It wasn't about obstruction of justice. It was about setting obstruction of justice traps. So for the better part of two years, they were hoping the president would fall into it. All right, that was Devin Nunes on Hannity the other night. Glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. We had a huge, big breaking story that we got in last night with all the news that was going on at the time uh, out by John Solomon. And the headline in The Hill, and John, by the way, is the executive vice president and columnist for The Hill investigative reporter, it is FBI spreadsheet puts a stake through the heart of Steele's dossier. And it talks about how some in the news media recent days have tried to rekindle their long lost love affair with Christopher Steele and the infamous dossier. The main trigger was a lengthy interview in June with the Department of Justice Inspector General. And now we know that some news outlets suggested, you know, it meant U.S. officials have found Steele uh, to be believable. Well, Steele, I doubt, is going to contradict his under oath sworn testimony that he said where he knew nothing. He didn't know of any of this dossier that Clinton paid for, the DNC paid for, the FBI paid for, and an oligarch paid for was true. Anyway, John Solomon then goes on to say, you know, Steele, okay, about the information, investigators are trying to ascertain whether this operative told the FBI about his sources. Turns out, Greg Jarrett told me that, well, he hadn't been there in 11 years, meaning to Russia. But now we've found that there is evidence that Steele told the DOJ in July and the State Department in October about all the flaws in his work. Well, that would be on top of Bruce Orr warning the DOJ and the FBI. That would be on top of Kathleen Kavalik, uh two weeks before the first FISA application was signed by Jim Comey. Well, that would have been another instance where they were warned that Steele hated Trump and that Hillary paid for it, and it's not verified. But the new part of all of this, John Solomon has found that there have been multiple sources now telling that the FBI had a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet that they had, uh, interestingly, took apart and found that about 90-plus percent of the dossier's claims were either wrong, non-verifiable, or open-source intelligence found with a Google search. In other words, that it was useless. Well, if that's the case, uh, and they did that, well, then we got to ask the question that Rod Rosenstein asked. This is what Rod Rosenstein said in May of last year. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we can accuse somebody of wrongdoing... 
We have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to affix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Uh, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application. A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. If you find anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. Okay, John Solomon here in his breaking story, executive vice president, investigative reporter for The Hill, Fox News legal analyst, uh, author of the number one bestseller, The Russia Hoax. He has a follow-up called Witch Hunt coming out soon. Greg Jarrett is with us. Uh, John, let's start with your report. So everybody warned the FBI and the DOJ that it wasn't verified, that Steele hated Trump, and that That's Hillary right. paid for it, but they still used it. That would mean yeah. everything that Rod Rosenstein just said about evidence, witnesses, uh, affidavits, and that it had to, in fact, be verified is not true, and it's a warrant, um, career law enforcement, and there'd be consequences if they got it wrong. Well, it seems like they were warned in advance about everything, but they did it anyway, which tells me that it was a premeditated fraud against the FISA court. Well, let me, let's, let me lay out a couple things that I think will really cement this for people who don't follow this on a day-to-day -day basis. In January of 17, the month that President Trump is, is taking office, and two and a half years before Mueller finally came out and finally said there's no collusion, the FBI interviewed the primary Russian source for Christopher Steele. And after that interview, according to my sources, they determined that that source either had intentionally misled Christopher Steele or had, was such an exaggerator, a bloviator, that he distorted the information that Steele then provided to the FBI. That is extraordinary. To come to the conclusion that you move from beyond steel to a source and you think his source is not reliable, what do you do with that information? Well, here's what they did with that information. They continued to represent to the court that Christopher Steele's dossier was credible as they secured two more extensions of the FISA warrant in April and in June of 2017. And the American public was led to believe for two more years that there might still be something here to this whole Steele allegation of collusion. It is criminal it is unjustifiable to the american public or to the fisa court that the fbi did that and let me go to one other thing there's a spreadsheet right and it goes through every claim one of the claims that they concluded well, why didn't we hear about this spreadsheet before and isn't this part of the information of the gang of eight in other yes. words where the fbi admitted wrongdoing Yes, but because the FBI has kept it classified, no one can talk about the over-under analysis of Steele. So you'll hear things like people say, well, Steele now might have been a victim of Russian misinformation. You hear these sort of things. Well, that's sort of the coded way that the intelligence community has been trying to tell people, listen, when we looked at this, this was garbage. I was able to get confirmation of the existence of the spreadsheet. And, and, but so many of these members have had their hands tied because the FBI hides behind classification. Christopher Steele's document is public. There's nothing, nothing classified about it. He leaked it. Glenn Simpson leaked it. There's no reason why the American public can't see the over-under analysis. We don't need to know the sources and methods, but there's no reason that we can't find out. The FBI thought 70, 80, 90 percent of it was unverifiable, wrong, or, or garbage. 
the only reason that it's been kept classified is to keep the embarrassment from the FBI having to admit that they got taken to the cleaners by this guy. It is shameful, and it's shameful that Chris Ray's FBI isn't more forthcoming about what went on here. They're trying to continue to hide the truth about the FBI's conduct. But let me take one thing that's so important in the spreadsheet. In the spreadsheet, the claim in Steele's dossier that Carter Page had met with Igor Session and Igor Divetskin, two close associates of uh, Putin, in July uh, 2016 right. is ultimately concluded to be unverifiable and most likely wrong. Why is that insignificant? That exact passage, that claim is in the first, second, third, and fourth FISA applications, and, and the FBI represented to the court that that claim was verified for them, meaning they had confirmed he had met with them, and therefore we should be able to listen in on Carter Page's uh, conversations. That's how wrong, that's how bad the FBI's work on this FISA is. Was it bad or was it political? Was it all part of a, an attempted coup, an insurance policy? Was it all, when you look at the, the lengths they went to between the attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch, and Comey, and Strzok, and Page, and, and even Strzok and Page say, you know, it, it's not an investigation into Hillary, right. it's a matter. That's what she said to James Comey. But then Strzok and Page said, Ugh, it, this, this, there's no way she's ever going to get indicted. The fix is in by Loretta Lynch and her you know, Department of Justice. Um, let me go and, and get Greg Jarrett's legal take on this, because basically all this is confirming is they never verified it. What we now know is it's an unverifiable document. I doubt Carter Page in the 16 hours of testimony with the inspector general's guy, I believe Mr. Durham, I doubt he contradicted his uh, sworn interrogatory testimony because otherwise he'd be guilty of perjury. So that would mean that he would say that he didn't have any idea of any of this is true. Yes, you can bet that when he was interviewed recently, Steele, by the IG, uh, that he stuck to that testimony that you just recited. And he also probably took it a step further and said, I warned the FBI and the Department of Justice that they needed to verify this, that by itself you can't rely on it. Um, and so, you know, Steele debunked his own dossier. The FBI, thanks to John's reporting, we know, debunked it as well with a spreadsheet. Mueller debunked it in his report. This, the FBI knew it was phony, and they were warned about it repeatedly, plus on their own they determined that there's, there's no truth to it. because. But according to this timeline, in early 2017, if they have this spreadsheet that they're talking about, that would mean at least one if not two, the final renewal warrant applications were, again, using the bulk of information in the dossier, including what, what John just explained about sure. about Carter Page having met with these individuals in Moscow in July of 2016, knowing that it didn't happen. Uh, that would mean that they kept lying, and every time they lied, it was even more severe. But they lied in the first warrant. They, you know, as you've pointed out many times, the top of the warrant application says verified information. It wasn't verified, and they knew it. And if it, if at some point in time, by virtue of their spreadsheet, they found evidence that was completely contradictory, they have an obligation under the law to immediately notify the FISA judges of that. They didn't do any of that. Um, so, you know, Christopher Ray as I've said before, is just like James Comey. Uh, he doesn't care about the truth. He's there to protect the institution and his colleagues. 
And so he will fight tooth and nail to obstruct information to deceive America. Okay, Uh, now that the facts are overwhelming and incontrovertible, and they knew it was a this was phony information and unverifiable information, but they went forward to spy not only on Carter Page and deny him his constitutional rights, his civil liberties, but also it was their backdoor to spy on the Trump campaign, the Trump transition team, and then the Trump presidency. Uh, the and pres- then we the and, and, and the given- same people were responsible for setting it up that a special counsel uh, be put in place for the purpose of removing a president of the, a duly elected president of the United States. What what are the legal issues here? Well, the first thing is that William Barr um, will he has the authority and power by virtue of the president now to declassify this material. So he should haul uh, Christopher Ray and some of the intelligence chief into his office at the Department of Justice and say, enough of your obstruction, enough of your hiding documents and evidence. Um, I'm going to declassify these documents to demonstrate to the American people that we're serious about getting to the truth. And as John eloquently pointed out, there's no reason why this spreadsheet and other documents cannot be revealed. You don't need to reveal sources and methods, but you can reveal the results and the evidence that you obtained. And and that'll blow the lid off this whole Russia hoax and the ensuing witch hunts. We're breaking down John now telling us that something has existed for a long time. That is the FBI's own spreadsheet that debunked completely the Steele dossier. Why is this only being known? Why are we only knowing about this now, John Solomon? Listen, the FBI is one of the greatest agencies at keeping secrets when it needs to, and that serves us well when the purpose of keeping a secret is to protect national security. Here, the effort to keep this secret is all designed to protect the reputation of the FBI from misconduct that clearly occurred in the Russia uh, corruption probe. And so I think the reason is the FBI has been good. Remember how many times Devin Nunez had to threaten a subpoena and get to a floor vote before Chris Ray at the last minute would walk over with Rod Rosenstein and they would suddenly at the last minute give over documents. Think about this. The IG did not have that State Department document in his two-year investigation until we got it in a a FOIA lawsuit with uh, Dave Bossie and Citizens United. That's the level to which the FBI has gone to keep this dirty secret of just how bad their work was in this case. FBI does lots of great work every day in the Russia case. We're talking about 1%. We're very clear about that. All right, last word, uh, Greg Jarrett. Well, I think it's going to be very important uh, to see what Bob Mueller uh, says when he is asked some very serious questions uh, a week from today, because the Republicans are armed uh, for bear, and they've got about 20 questions, as you well know, uh, that, you know, need to be answered. All right. Thank you both. John Solomon, uh, Greg Jarrett, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Peter Schweitzer digs down a Hannity investigative report. He's now looking into a brand-new candidate for the Democrats, a guy by the name of Tom Steyer. You may not have heard of him, but you'll want to hear about him. Uh, That and more as we continue straight ahead. Tom Steyer is a hedge fund manager turned political and environmental activist, and he's just joined the Democratic presidential field. Now, today, his raft of investments align perfectly well with his advocacy of clean energy. However, that hasn't always been the case. 
in rather dramatic fashion. In 1986, Tom Steyer founded something called Fairlawn Capital. It was a hedge fund, and that hedge fund has made him a billionaire, and it's helped him to fund his environmental agenda. But Fairlawn Capital has been a major investor in a number of projects that won't be mentioned at any clean energy summits. Steyer stepped down as CEO of Fairlawn Capital in 2012, but under his watch, the investment firm put money into coal plants in China, Indonesia, even Australia, where a newly constructed plant in New South Wales is expected to churn out coal for the next 30 years. All told, the coal mines increased their production by more than 70 million tons of coal since getting investment from Steyer. As the New York Times noted, that's more than Britain consumes annually. Steyer earned praise from the left for his efforts to get President Obama to kill the Keystone Pipeline, but his hedge fund had more at stake than just environmental concerns. In the first quarter of 2012, while Tom Steyer was bundling campaign contributions for Obama's re-election, Steyer's company was invested in a competing Canadian pipeline company, Kinder Morgan, which stood to benefit when the Obama administration refused to approve the Keystone Pipeline. But that wasn't the only time Steyer's investments benefited from Obama administration decisions. Because of his financial support of Obama's candidacy, Steyer enjoyed high-level private access to the White House. Steyer met with numerous senior White House officials, including both Rahm Emanuel and Bill Daley, when each was White House Chief of Staff, and also White House Counselor John Podesta. Steyer now enters the presidential race pledging to spend $100 million for climate change and political reform. His body of work, however, suggests that whatever steps Steyer pledges in the name of a better environment, his track record in politics and investments is hardly what I'd call clean. All right, that was a good friend of the program, Peter Schweitzer, really digging deep. A name most of you probably don't know. Guy's name is Tom Steyer, big liberal activist and somebody who is big into pushing and advancing this whole climate change hysteria is what I know about him. I also, I've been told, I don't know if it's true, that Steyer hates people like me and conservatives on radio and TV. I don't know what that means because I have so many people that are in that category. I just kind of ignore them all. But uh, here to sort of enlighten us into who this person is well is peter schweitzer remember his book it's called secret empires and it goes into the deep ties of all of these people that go into public service and end up coming out very wealthy and very rich um and he talks a lot in this book about steyer and about joe biden and about how the vice president his son hunter along with others uh have all profited pretty well from business deals involving the communist Chinese. And in the case of the Ukrainian, uh, remember, the new president of Ukraine just literally got rid of the person that was responsible for trying to help Hillary Clinton win the election and impact the elections in 2016 that Mueller never decided to look into. Anyway, Peter Schweitzer is with us. Uh, How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm great, Sean. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So this is what I hear about Steyer. He's a huge, big, heat-like donor, liberal donor, activist, hardcore left, hates conservatives, donates to groups that are targeting conservatives. Is that all true? 
Yes, absolutely right. He is uh, next to George Soros, probably the biggest philanthropist on the left, uh, both in terms of giving to uh, progressive organizations and also bankrolling Democratic candidates. Okay. Well, first, I believe in freedom of speech. Yeah. And if he wants to donate to groups that hate me, that's fair. Um. And if he has political positions and he wants to advocate for candidates that support his liberal views, that's what America is all about. I don't have a problem with it. Um, but as I look at your book and what you say about him, um, there's a there's a more radical side to this. Explain. Yeah, there's a more radical side to it, Sean, and also he has turned his activism into a way to make himself even wealthier. And that's, I think, something that's important not only for your audience and uh, Americans to know, but also for other progressives to know. I mean, for him, this is not about idealism. Uh, you know, as we recount when Barack Obama is engaged in his war on coal, uh, you know, Tom Steyer, being a major donor, was in and out of the White House regularly meeting with people that were shaping environmental policy who were executing the war on coal. And what we know from SEC records is that at that exact same time, Sean, he is trading in and out of coal stocks. He's doing very, very well. And, and people might ask, well, wait a minute, if, if Barack Obama is engaging in a war on coal, why would you buy coal stocks? And the reason is what we call smash and grab. You know, if you want to buy coal company stocks, you want to buy low and sell high. So what you do, in effect, is wait for Barack Obama to smash the coal companies, drive their valuations down to, you know, eight or ten cents on the dollar, and then you buy a bunch of shares, uh, and then later on those shares are going to rise and you're going to make a lot of money. And that's exactly what Tom Steyer did. So you're quite right. He is it's a free country, and, and we believe everybody has a right to, to give to their causes. But what progressives need to know and, and moderates and conservatives need to know is that this is part of his business plan and strategy. Strategy. He, he weds his progressive activism with an opportunity to also make money. Most people have never heard of him. Now he's yeah. decided to throw his hat in the ring and run for president. He did this just a few days back. Um, what is it about him that we would need to know? Because he's probably not going to punch his way or buy his way into the top tier. Uh, one report had his net worth at like $1.6 billion, pretty significant and impressive amount of money. I don't think you can buy your way into the presidency, can you? No, I think you're exactly right. Look, he initially uh, was backing uh, the Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, who is in the race. Uh, and Jay Inslee has been running on climate change is the most important issue out there. Uh, and nobody's heard of him. And he's been in the race for a while. Uh, I think what essentially has happened is that Tom Steyer saw that Jay Inslee was not catching fire. So he decided that he's going to enter the race himself. I think the problem is this message of climate change just does not resonate with voters. Even within the Democratic primary, it's, it's not a huge issue of importance, uh, even among Democrats. So I think you're right, Sean. I mean, this is, uh, in a sense, his hope to draw attention to this issue. Uh, he certainly wants to uh, raise his status within the Democratic Party and try to push these issues. Uh, but again, I think he wants to stay politically relevant because, you know, even going back to the 1990s, when he was doing deals in Russia, uh, one of the people 
people he was doing deals with was the wife of the man who was in charge of uh, reorganizing Russian industry. I mean, talk about having access to inside information. So I think his goals are multifaceted, but I think you're right. He's going to be a player behind the scenes in terms of the money that he donates and, and how he tries to shape the agenda. But I do not expect him to be up there in the first tier of, of people uh, when they have these debates. Now, you wrote this Secret Empire book, um, and it became a huge bestseller. And all these people, these politicians that end up making fortunes based on what they do in, in D.C., I don't know how what what's legal, what's not legal for all of right, them. Right, right. Um, but it certainly is questionable. I mean, you really broke wide open the story of Joe Biden's son flying on Air Force Two. And if I recall, he didn't have any hedge fund uh, background or experience. But two weeks after that trip, he was able to bring a massive deal worth how much to, to, to a hedge fund company? Yeah, it was a $1 billion deal. Uh, later expanded to $1.5 billion. Um, and but he had no very- experience in this field whatsoever. Exactly. No background in China. And it's been very interesting, Sean. You know, you you highlighted the book very early on when it came out in 2018. Got a lot of interest. It's now getting interest from the mainstream media. Um, And, you know, I think we got to give them credit here. ABC News um, uh, tried to question Joe Biden on this. Uh, And what's basically happened is, as more questions are being raised, uh, the Biden team has been trying to, uh, you know, sort of get behind or, or get ahead of this story. Uh, the problem is, is that the more information they share, it, it not only confirms the findings in secret empires, and indeed he, indeed he did strike these deals with the Chinese, but Hunter Biden has now admitted for the first time in an interview he gave that on that trip on Air Force Two, when he flew over with his father in December, he insisted over and over again that he conducted no business related to that investment deal while he was on that trip with his dad. He's now admitted, Sean, that he did indeed introduce his Chinese business partner to his father on that trip. And then 10 days later, the deal is sealed. So, Well, that would explain the soft policy of the Biden-Obama administration on China. But then you you have chronicled, and it's now gotten a lot deeper, this whole issue of, of Biden's son in Ukraine. And we had this prosecutor that was investigating Biden's son. And Biden literally is leveraging a billion taxpayer dollars that he's supposed to give to Ukraine on a trip. And then he says, uh, I'm leaving in six hours unless you fire that prosecutor. Add to that the developments that we now know that the new Ukraine president has fired uh, the individual that was responsible for coordinating with uh, DNC in an attempt for Ukraine to dig up dirt to try and influence the 2016 elections, the very things that the media and the Democrats seem up in arms about. Uh, outside influence of our campaigns, except in this case, we have evidence and nobody except people like me and and John Solomon and others uh, really seem to care about. But, you know, we have the actual tape of Biden, you know, leveraging or talking about and bragging about. I made them fire this prosecutor. Turns out that prosecutor was investigating his son. Listen, I said, I'm not going to we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. (laughs) I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a (laughs) got fired. Okay, last word on that. Peter Schweitzer. 
You're exactly right. All the things that were said uh, about Russia and Trump, about collusion, about financial ties, uh, apply in the case of Biden. And we now know, based on the Mueller report, they did not apply in the case to Trump. And these are the very serious questions that voters need to look at. And that is Joe Biden's financial ties, his family's financial ties to China and Ukraine and the policy decisions he made as vice president. Uh, We can't let him just sort of skirt away on this. He needs to answer these questions questions honestly and straightforwardly. All right, Peter Schweitzer, Secret Empires. We'll put it up on Hannity.com. Great information. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Sean. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity show, Bill O'Reilly at the top of the hour, then your calls last half hour of the program today. Uh, all right, let's go to Greg. He's in South Dakota. Greg, hey, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Very good, Sean. Thank you. As I told your screener, Republicans just got to relax because Democrats are unhappy people and they will fight a common foe when it's available. And that's the president right now. But as that subsides, they're going to start turning on themselves again because that's just unhappy people are that way. They have to attack somebody. And when there's not a Republican in the line of fire, they'll shoot at a Democrat. Listen, there's nothing they're not willing to say or do. They, they, they have said and done everything they possibly can against Trump. The problem is it's sort of like it's diminishing returns at this point because they wake up every single morning, their eyes open up, their brains begin to work in some in some fashion that I will never understand, their liberal minds, and then they focus, fixate, are obsessively, compulsively thinking about how do I screw Trump today? How do I show more outrage and feign more? more outrage today. Um, and it's breathtaking to watch it. It's sort of like a mass psychosis, hypnosis. Um, it's definitely some mental condition. And this is the media. This is the hardcore left. And they can't help themselves. But in the process, they do nothing for the American people. And in the process, people look at the success of the president, even under these difficult conditions, and they say, you know what? They like what he's doing. They like the economy. They like that he's tough. They like that he fights. They like that he doesn't take crap from people. And he gives it out. It takes a lot, but he gives out a lot right back. And I think that's going to be a very key aspect in, in 2020. Look, how many voters that voted for Trump in 2016 are going to say, oh, I think I'll pick one of these people? I don't think very many at all. How many people that maybe are part of this record employment situation we have, the best employment situation since 1969, record lows, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. Um, Are those voters that are benefiting from Trump policies, are they now going to say, you know what, this guy got me a great job and a better life. I got to consider him. Something to ask. Quick break. We'll come back. Bill O'Reilly's next and your calls next hour. 800-941-SEAN is our number. All right, news roundup and information overload hour, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. Um, One of the things I've been hitting, I want to go back to the first hour here for just a minute, and that is, okay, everything in the world of the new modern extreme Democratic Party is what used to be every two years, every four years, Republicans are racist. Republicans are sexist. Republicans are misogynist. Republicans want dirty air and water. They're uh, they're xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic. Uh, they want children to die, and they want grandma thrown over the cliff by a Paul Ryan lookalike. Um, now it's every minute, every second of every day because. After all, Russian conspiracy didn't exist for the 2016 election. The obstruction thing fell flat, and I think Mueller's falling flat before he even shows up, and it's probably not going to work out uh, the way the Democrats think that's going to work. 
So they, they it, it is a tactic, sadly. It's part of the playbook of the Democratic Party is that they go to the race card. You go back, we've played this many times, you know, Missouri radio ad that if you elect a Republican, well, crosses are going to burn. Or the James Byrd ad. Let's play those. When you don't vote, you let another church explode. When you don't vote, you allow another cross to burn. When you don't vote, you let another assault wound a brother or sister. When you don't vote, you let the Republicans continue to cut school lunches and hit start. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and a nice looking guy. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. No. cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So really, I'm not joking. I'm actually old enough to remember the good old days, and they weren't all that good in many ways. That message where I'll give you America great again is if you're a white Southerner, you know exactly what it means, don't you? You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Mitt Romney, he's speaking to a population of this, a segment of the population who does not like to see people other than a white man in the White House or in any other elected position. I don't know how anyone of Hispanic heritage could be a Republican, okay? Do I need to say more? Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain! Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Don't tell me we live in a colorblind society. The Republicans know that theirs is the wrong agenda for African Americans. That's why they don't even want to count you in the census. They're doing everything they can to stop black people, Latinos, poor people, young people, people with disabilities from voting. It's a blast from the Jim Crow past. I thought we had won that battle back in the 1960s. That he has supporters like David Duke connected with the Ku Klux Klan who are going around and saying Donald Trump is their candidate because Donald Trump is pushing their values. Ku Klux Klan values, David Duke values, Donald Trump values are not American values. They, not you, have an ally in the White House. This time, they have an ally. They're a small percentage of the American people, virulent people. Some of them the dregs of society. On June 7, 1998, in Texas, my father was killed. He was beaten, chained, and then dragged three miles to his death, all because he was black. So when Governor George W. Bush refused to support hate crimes legislation, it was like my father was killed all over again. Call George W. Bush and tell him to support hate crimes legislation. We won't be dragged away from our future. All right, that is just a brief history of the Democratic Party and the race card. And now it's not just every two and four years. It's 
pretty much every second, every minute, every hour of every day for irredeemable deplorables, uh, people, the smelly Trump Walmart voters, people that cling to their God, their guns, their Bibles, their religion. Notice you don't hear the outrage about the Democratic governor of Virginia in blackface or uh, we have the secretary of state, same issue, just like you don't hear about, uh, I believe, with the lieutenant governor. Uh, in the state or the Commonwealth of Virginia. You know, white folks' greed runs world in need. That's Barack Obama, black liberation theology, uh, a lot of which blames white people for the problems in the world, and he adhered to that for 20 years in the Church of GD America. Uh, Pictures of Obama with Farrakhan that were hidden for eight years, and Bill Clinton with Farrakhan, and Bill Clinton's mentor was J. William Fulbright, a segregationist, and Hillary's mentor was the former Klansman. She said, my mentor, Robert K.K.K. Bird, um, and it goes on from there. Uh, How many people are now sucking up to the Reverend Al Sharpton, kissing the ring of Reverend Al, you know, headed to Harlem, meeting with Al, begging for his endorsement. Here's Al. I'm tired of the magic bitch. You ain't nothing. You a punk Now come on, do something. Yes. You want to be the only on television. The only in the newspaper. The only can talk. Don't cover them. Don't talk to them. Because you got the only problem. Because you know if a black man stood up next to you, they would see you for the whore that you really are. We learned to admire them, but they knew to admire us. We built pyramids where Donald Trump ever knew what architecture was. We taught philosophy and astrology and mathematics before Socrates and them Greek ever got around. Uh, white interloper, I said I was wrong. Uh, uh, cracker, though I think cracker is a certain personification of a certain type of person down south, just like redneck. I mean, you know, some people misinterpret cracker meaning all whites is not true, but the confusion means you shouldn't use it. I mean, sometimes being flippant, you say things you shouldn't say because it gets in the way of your message and people don't really understand what you're saying. And that is the person apparently has one of the most coveted endorsements. Bill O'Reilly joins us, BillOReilly.com, all things for Bill. Um, You know, I'm watching all of this, and I I watch with amazement. The selective moral outrage, the phony outrage, the, the lack of basic fundamental historical fact about the Democratic Party, Bill. Well, put yourself in the shoes of the people who run the Democratic Party, all right? So I want all the listeners to do that. So you are now in charge of getting a Democrat elected in 2020 and to get the Senate to be Democratic as well, right? So how are you going to do that? You can't do it on the economy, correct? Nobody's well, going to buy. If they, if they stay with the principles they're advocating now, absolutely not. No. They, well, you can't do it because the economy has been successful under a Trump administration. Exactly. There's no argument there. It's been successful. Now, and it's not what the they believe. Throwers right. can say crazy stuff, but that's not going to lead to votes. It's not going to lead to uh, hearts and minds or independent votes. So that's number one. The economy's off the table as far as an issue is concerned. 
you can't really drag foreign policy in because there hasn't been a major foreign policy situation that has affected working Americans. A lot of theoretical stuff, a lot of tariff stuff, but it's all pinheady. It's not real. You can't do social because right now in America, you're about as liberal as you can be. I mean, we can't really get more left-wing. We're Denmark. Social. So what's your beef? So you have nowhere to go, nowhere to go to defeat a president who garnered 63 million votes. you got no, nothing. So you've got to go into him as a person and those who support him. And the easiest, cheapest, vilest way to do it is to call him a racist. Second, call him a misogynist. Third, call him an atheist or whatever, you know. But you can't do that because the liberal tenant is kind of a anti-religion, organized religion deal. So that's why this is happening. It's easy. And you have a great facilitator, the media. So instead of analyzing what happened this week in a fair way by saying, okay, you've got four radical congresswomen who really don't like their country very much. Now, they'll say that's legitimate because they want to improve the country. And okay, if you want to buy that, you go ahead. But the fact is they don't like America as it stands now. And they are saying some vile things. And you've played those clips on your show many times. So that leads the president of the United States to then say, hey, this is destructive. This isn't constructive. It isn't helping. And if these people are so smart, why don't they return to their ancestral homeland, or in one case, their birth homeland, Somalia, for Miss Omar, improve those places and then come back and tell us how to do it? That, that, right? that part, wait, slow down one second, because that's the part that nobody talked about. Of course, now, that's and, what and, I'm telling you. The Bill, media will never report that. That's what was said. We went that's back. That's what's in the tweet. You know, didn't take a whole lot of work. I'd like to say that I worked, you know, hours and hours on this. It was not that hard. No, we looked up how people are treated. People are treated in Somalia. And if you get an abortion, you go to jail. If you're gay or lesbian, you go to jail. And women are treated horribly. And uh, they have a lot of problems there. But also what she said about Al Qaeda laughing and what she said about Black Hawk Down. Remember, those bodies were dragged all through Mogadishu, Bill. Uh, in the streets, uh, in that incident, and accusing Americans of slaughtering thousands, that didn't happen. Well, it didn't, there's a lot of things they say that didn't happen, concentration camps at the border, whatever. But, but the, the, the main thing here is that the national media, all right, could have reported this story by saying cause and effect. So the four radical congresswomen are saying very provocative and sometimes untrue things. The president reacts to them, which, by the way, I think is a mistake, but we'll get to that some other time. The president suggests that they go somewhere, solve some problems, and then come back. Okay, if you're an American, if you want to think that's a racist statement because the four congresswomen are quote-unquote people of color, okay, that's your opinion. But it's not a fact, and that's the key. It's not a fact. 
if you look at the context and examine it unemotionally and factually, as journalists are supposed to do, there is no fact. It's an opinion. Journalism is dead. The Democratic Party, as we just said, doesn't have anything to run on other than demonizing the president. Then the opinion, okay, is logical. The strategy is logical, but you're not going to hear any of that. Uh, let me, uh, here's the last question, and we only have a minute. So how does this impact 2020? And in a way, I think the president has shown that the Democrats are united as one and that these, these radicals, this squad is far more influential of the 2020 candidates. They have all adopted their crazy views. What does it mean for 2020? Well, I could be wrong. I think there's going to be a big, big backlash against these four congresswomen and the media that protects them and distorts the coverage. And now now the, the president did something that was about to blow up. There was about to be, you know, this schism within the Democratic Party. Now they're all together. Well, that's not a good thing. I don't think President Trump should have made this personal. Oh, no, I think I, I think them all being together with the leadership being the squad is a good thing. Okay, but you and I disagree on that because I think you're going to see Biden get hammered on the deportation and maybe with that coming up in the next debate. All right, Bill O'Reilly, by the way, author of 15 number one best-selling books. Pretty amazing. Anyway, uh, BillOReilly.com, his book entitled The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America, coming out in the fall. Bill, thanks for being with us. Hope you're having a great summer. Okay, you too. We'll see you soon. And uh, thanks for having me on, Sean. I really appreciate it. Quick break. Right back. Your calls, 800-941-SEAN, as we continue. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. I think we've got it straightened out from yesterday, considering so many of you commenting on it. I I am the owner. I am the CEO of the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Ultimately, all final decisions go through me. Now, our first in charge, well, we've got we got a lot of people first in charge. Like, for example, in charge no, of affiliate don't. relations. What are you ta- there is no, what? Can no. I finish? No. Well, that would be Eric Stanginator. He does all of of that. That's his department. He's in charge of his department. Sweet Baby James in charge of research and on-site production. Then we've got Linda. She's in charge of the staff, which would include Jason, Ethan, Kylie, uh, Katie, and whoever this new intern guy and is. And booking and commercials and digital. Right, and, and all that, and everything and in between. Tools. And so I would say you're the executive producer's, you know, top Flash executive of the, in, within. Well, you're the boss to them, but you're not my boss. I'm your boss. Sometimes. Most of the time, you're just a talent that I'm trying to wrangle the- in and break. It, well, but hang on a sec. But no, you can wrangle all you want, but I make the oh, final decision. Oh, I know. Decision. I wrangle all day long. I'm like a lonely You're cowboy. I can't a, get, I, a, I catch a nothing. A lonely cowgirl wrangler in her Tacovas boots. That's correct. <laughs> That's <laughs> very cold out here on, on the boots. ranch. By the way, how ironic is it? Because over the years, people have, have said, Hannity, you dress like a bum. Not really, because I, I think people are shocked. Oh, I, I, think, like... I think to be more clear, if I no. may. Okay. Um, the real problem was that you thought that golf shirts were appropriate attire. I didn't have a problem wearing golf shirts. I know I wear... everyone else had a lot of problems with it, though, including me, because we have to look at you. So. Okay. Now I wear T-shirts. I wear 
NYPD or FBI hats. That's my usual attire no, on no, top of no, my head. No, no, you wear button downs on top of your T-shirt. Yeah, but, but the button down's wide open, and then during the show, I take it off and I'm in my T-shirt. Yeah, but at least it still it starts in a better place, you know? It just... Well, the, the button down is not buttoned. Are you excited about that? Is that what makes you happy? No, is that your rebellious that, side? I prefer to wear jeans to Covis, my my cowboy, my western boots, and then a t-shirt and a baseball cap. But the baseball cap usually is an NYPD cap or an FBI cap. True or false? Yeah, you normally have some dorky hat on that do you doesn't mean? fit so, your head. How could you say that a dorky Because you've got a lot of hair. You don't need to be wearing hats. I like my hat. I know, but it looks silly. All right, let's have it. Ethan, do you think my hat, my NYPD or FBI First hat First of all, silly? no one on the team is going to tell you the truth because, you know, oh, you're the boss. Well, why don't, so before you call them liars, how about they give us their honest opinion? I, I like hats. I mean, Thank you. I don't you, wear them. Do you like hats on Sean? I think, he looks what? silly. I think he looks fine in hats. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Jason? It's okay. I mean, I, I think you. you look fine without the hat, but the hat is okay. It's uh, Kylie? okay. Kylie? Sure, why not? Okay, Katie. Our military and troops. And- Thank you, Katie. I think you look great, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. Oh man, Mister Mister Intern. Well, I think you look amazing. Thank you. All right, check mate. Let's oh, go to we- uh, what? What? No, no. What go you- ahead. By all means, talk to America. Mike in them. South Carolina. What's up, Mike? How are you? Glad you called, sir. I'm doing great, Sean. Uh, I just wanted to ask you your opinion. Uh, I don't see the difference between what Trump said to the squad. And then what Trump was saying to guys like uh, Rosie O'Donnell and Joy Behar back in 2016 when they were saying, we can't live in Trump's America. He told them that he would put them on a plane and ship them out himself. How many parents, you know, this this statement, by the way, of and, and the president had a twist on it is, you know, America, love it or leave it. It's not a new concept. That's number one. Um, and number two, how many parents say you live under my rules or you can get the hell out of here? Um, I, I would not be opposed to saying that I have rules and that's it. And I'm a parent and I'm not a best friend. You become best friends when your kids hit 30, hopefully, but between the time they're born and the time they're 30, you have to be their parent first. Or how many times, for example, how many Hollywood actors said they're going to leave the United States if Trump becomes president. Okay, well, Trump said, okay, well, Somalia's a mess. She was talking specifically about Congresswoman Omar. You can go back and women that get abortions are thrown in jail. If you're gay or lesbian, you get thrown in jail. They have these draconian laws against women. And he said, okay, go back there. You can fix, you know, Somalia. And then when you get it done, come back here and show us how to do it. And I, I it was just making a point is that there is no better country on the face of this earth than the United States of America. Now, I wasn't even really offended by a lot of what Omar says. I was offended by her laughing and mocking uh, the way Americans talk about 9-11 and Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah. I was a little pissed off about that because we lost 3,000 people during that conflict. And some of the other things she said is just downright offensive. Look, she's earned her 9% approval rating. Let's put it that way. You know, once describing acts of terrorism, you know, it's it's what happened with uh, the the Al-Shabaab attack in Kenya in a shopping mall in 2013. Uh, Oh, that is a response to our involvement in other people's affairs. In other words, we're responsible for the terrorist attacks. 
Well, she says she loves America more than Americans. Um, I don't hear a lot of love in that statement or an understanding of America's greatness and America's contribution to the cause of freedom. And I don't like the chuckling when she goes on that Israel's called a democracy in comparing Israel to Iran. Uh, I don't think you could be any more wrong or, you know, the, you know, the issue of all the other things. And in Somalia, their laws are, OK, you get an abortion or consent to one or cause one. Well, you get one to five years in jail. If you say anything against Islam or bring the religion of Islam into contempt or bring into contempt people professing uh, or or uh, or dedicated to worship. Well, you can get two years in jail for that if you're involved in a relationship and you're gay or lesbian, oh, you're going to go to jail three months to three years. Um, I think I prefer America's system where we leave people the hell alone and people get to do and choose what they want with whoever they want when they want. Uh, freedom is a blessing and it's got to be protected. Every generation needs to do it. I didn't like her claims that American forces killed thousands of Somalis during Black Hawk Down, which is not true. And in fact, it was American soldiers and their dead bodies being dragged all through the streets of Mogadishu. Maybe she forgot that aspect of it. And then, of course, her effort to try and win leniency for nine guys accused of trying to join ISIS. I didn't particularly like that position either. So I think what the president was saying with the full knowledge and understanding of who she is. And as it relates to Ocasio-Cortez, look, I do admire the fact that she's defiant towards Pelosi and she hates Biden and she's not shy about speaking up. I think that it takes a certain amount of courage, but it's her ideas that uh, scare the living daylights out of me. And should every American will tell you how to run your business, she said, we're going to retrofit every house in America. Uh, we're going to eliminate oil and gas in 10 years, get rid of the combustion engine. We're going to give free school, free college, free education, guaranteed job, guaranteed vacations, guaranteed healthy food, uh, guaranteed retirement, you know, Medicare for all. But you have no choices of anything else. And eventually planes and cows, they're going to have to be done with, too. And and how are we going to pay for it? Well, We'll just tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. But there's not enough money that the rich have to pay for this. Medicare for all alone eats up pretty much all of the budget. And yet that is the advancement. This 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 group of four now known as the squad is the most powerful group in terms of their influence over the 2020 candidates. Nancy Pelosi has no control over this. And the fact that everyone's threading a needle Biden has been attacked repeatedly by Ocasio-Cortez. Pelosi pretty much called a racist by Ocasio-Cortez. So they may not like the criticism of Trump, but that's their problem. You know, the media, you know, they have nothing left with collusion, nothing left with obstruction. Let's go to racism. You know, it's just a, another day of, of looking and finding anything that they can to fixate on to, to attack the president. It's not going to work because the president's you know, who has benefited the most under the president's economic plan? It's obvious. The demographic groups that have historically been left behind, they're the ones benefiting the most. And thank God, because every American deserves their shot at the American dream. If the president is able to fully utilize the vast resources that we have as it relates to energy, oil, gas, 
coal. That will that one issue will raise the standard of living of every American by tens of thousands of dollars. That means better homes, safer communities, better schools, a new car, vacations, going out to eat. It would it's the best thing we can do for every working American become energy independent and be a net huge exporter of energy. We're talking about Venezuela type of wealth and and you know Saudi Arabian type of wealth available to us if we just would tap those resources. I there's not one democrat I know that would support that. Well, I thought they cared about the forgotten men and women. Every time they get in office, their policies literally utterly destroy business. When you destroy business, who gets hurt the most? Well, it ends up being the pe- people that work for those businesses. That's why Biden, Obama added 13 million more Americans to food stamps in eight years and eight million more Americans were in poverty after eight years. And and we had a 51 year low home ownership rate and the worst labor participation rate since the 70s, because you, you put a stranglehold on business with regulation and taxation. They're not going to invest their money. That's why people are leaving New York, New Jersey, Illinois and California in droves. Matter of fact, California has a doctor shortage. Now they're trying to lure doctors to California by paying off their their medical school loans. Nobody wants to practice there because basically you're practicing for free. And it's very expensive and time-consuming to go to college four years, medical school four years, do a uh, an internship and a residency, and then finally you get to go out on your own. Then you got to pay all this money for an office and supplies and a business and you know, you're you're not making money till you're 45 if you're a doctor, but you do it usually because you're called to help and heal people. But they don't allow they dictate how much you can charge for an office visit. Well, if you if a, you, if a doctor can only charge 20 bucks, you're only going to get 20 bucks worth of treatment. You know, basically, hello is worth 20 bucks for a doctor and say, oh, hello, 20 bucks. Get out. That's not good medicine. Uh, but that's the way. Medicine works in this country. Uh, you know, I love Biden going back to the old, you know, keep your doctor, keep your plan. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, is disaster rewind that he's he's pushing. Danny? How many of you like your employer-based health care? Did you think it was adequate? Now, if I come along and say, finish, you can't have it anymore. Well, that's what Medicare for all does. You cannot have it, period. Number one. There's a hiatus spot in between, by the way, how long it's going to take. So I leave people the option. If you like your health care plan, your employer-based plan, you can keep it. If, in fact, you have private insurance, you can keep it. Oh, if you like your doctor, keep your doctor. If you like if your you plan, like your keep doctor, your plan. You All right, we got enough of that. Your... Let's get to Danny is in New York. Danny, hi, how are you? Welcome to the show. I've been listening to, you, listening to you forever. I feel like you and I could have gone to high school together. You're a good man. Congratulations on your success, too. I'll Thank get you. to the point. I just want to collect my thoughts here. Um, this whole thing with Ilmar and Tlaib, um, I, I'm not getting off the beaten track, but I want to throw something at you. They say the best way to predict the future is to look at the history. Adolf Hitler came out with a book called Mein Kampf before he took over Germany. He laid out in that book what he wanted to do, and he did it. Uh, back here in the Iraq War, we captured um, an al-Qaeda terrorist. He was one of the higher-up guys. I don't know who his name what his name was, he was a real burly-looking guy. The photo, he had his face to the side with an open shirt, real burly. And he said when they were interrogating him, 
that they were going to infiltrate America and take it over from within. And I think this is uh, I, this transcends Democrat, Republican and President Trump. Let me, let me let me let me put it in these terms. This is America do or die. This is America as we know it do or die. Because, you know, as even the chief of staff of Ocasio-Cortez admitted, this never had much, if anything, to do with climate change. It's all about the economics. It's all about the implementation of socialism. Socialism may sound great. Everything's free, free, free. Everything's guaranteed. No worries, no fear, whether you're willing or unwilling to work. And we'll get rid of everything that is needed to actually run a business, oil and gas, and uh, a combustion engine. But I am telling you, it is a disaster. America, as we know it, will cease to exist. All right, Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. Hope you'll join us. We continue more breaking news. John Solomon. Then we'll get reaction. Jim Jordan, Lindsey Graham, Greg Jarrett. Oh, and by the way, a woman that's challenging AOC. All coming up tonight at 9. Hannity, Fox News. Hope you'll join us. The news you won't get anywhere else. 9 Eastern, and we'll see you tonight and back here tomorrow. As always, thank you for being with us.